Welcome, filmgoers and readers alike, to episode 193 of the Nerds Travaganza podcast, where there's no point in waiting for the movie because there's not even a book. I'm Tom. I'm Brian. I'm Chris. And I'm Kim. And in this episode, we'll be discussing books versus their film adaptations. But first, I'll remind our listeners that they only get a producer's credit in our never-to-be-produced film if they subscribe to us on iTunes and give us lots and lots of stars and such. If you want to be a star, you got to give a star. That's the bottom line. And with that said, guys, I think we can kick things off in our usual oh-so-erudite fashion with the Weekly Geekly, Geekly Weekly Literary Update, maybe? I don't know. <laughs> Brian, take it away. I finally got around to one of my uh, my Christmas gifts. Tom, you should you should uh, be interested in this. Been playing Dragon Quest Heroes, the World Trees Woe and the Blight Below, which I kind of feel is a pretty silly name for a fairly r- realistic, serious game. <laughs> Interesting game. I I like it, and I kind of hate it at the same time. It it breaks my heart to see so many different games that are the exact same game. <laughs> it, it is exactly like Hyrule Warriors, 99 Nights, the Gundam game. What was the original one? Dynasty Warriors. Exactly alike. And, and it kind of drives me nuts that there's so little innovation. But... It's set in the world of Dragon Warrior, and that makes me just love it. I, I really forgot how much I enjoyed those games and, and that whole aesthetic. The slimes and all that? The slimes, the golems, the weverins, the drakies, just just everything. Even even the um, the equipment is named what it was named in Dragon Quest 2, 3, 4, 5. You know, it's great. That's... I don't know. I, I guess it's kind of an homage to the Dragon Quest games. If you're a fan of those, you'll get something out of it. It's almost like, I don't know how to describe it. It is the same theme, but they're giving it the treatment of your favorite franchise. So they did a Zelda one. Now they're doing it for Dragon Quest. I mean, yeah, the formula is pretty simple, isn't it? Yeah, I guess there there eventually will be one for everyone. You know, it'll be like a Pokemon one. <laughs> yeah. Like a Star Wars one. And no matter what, what skin you want it'll be there is there any online co-op in that game brian don't believe so damn that, that would be awesome would be that would be kind of cool anyway you're enjoying it though for what it is like i said like i, I forgot how much i really loved those games and uh, tom you probably remember they were really grindy so i spent a lot of time with them yeah, yeah, they're super grindy. So are you not inclined to grind away this time or uh it's not quite as fun. Like it's a little bit more the exact same thing, especially with some of the like character abilities. Like you can literally just hold down the square button and beat the living shit out of half a stage. Okay, so it's just like ass kickery. But I mean I I remember ninety nine nights was kind of that way too, and you really you committed yourself to getting kind of far in that, didn't you? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm actually, I'm pretty far in this. I've been playing it for, I guess, less than a, two weeks. So like a week and a half. And 
cleared through most of the storyline already and have done a lot of the, they, they call it uh, monster suppression. And it's, you know, you get a reward for killing five of these things. You get a reward for killing 20 of these things. You get a reward for killing 500 of them. <laughs> so every, every new enemy that came along, I made sure to stop and kill 500 of. Wow. And you didn't find that excessively. Well, no, I mean, I guess if you're like doing something else, <laughs> right? That kind of, that, that's kind of tolerable. It's pretty grindy. I mean, like I said, like the original games were too, so I can't really complain about it. It's a little bit less fun to grind holding a button than it is running around and going to new places and, you know, random encounters and getting cool loot. And... Oh, by, by grindy, you meant the original Dragon Quest games were grindy, not just the games in this style? Or did you mean both, really? I meant the orig- original Dragon Quest games. Okay, yeah, I was wondering what you meant by that, because yeah, I, I guess it fits both, but uh, a Dragon Quest fan will recognize the and appreciate the grindiness perhaps it's one of the few games i think unless you absolutely hate the other side of the coin even if you're just like a moderate fan of of one side you'll you'll like this game because if you like dynasty warriors it's a it's a great dynasty warriors clone if you like dragon quest it's it's a really solid experience in the dragon quest world really fun cool well i'm glad you're enjoying it mary uh gantamus <laughs> anything else uh let's see i have kept with my not a resolution what did we call it uh d combo resolution that thing uh still work on the leather i actually made I, I really don't know how else to describe this, so if it's in any way insensitive, please forgive me, but I made a little, like, Medicine Man pouch. Um, uh, an Earth Healer pouch, let's say. There you go. Okay. You know, just completely, like, strips of leather sewn together, drawstring, tied with another uh strip of leather. Very cool. And, and it looks, it's kind of like a little renaissance and a little like Western. So it's kind of like a neat little, it's a neat mix of, of styles. Pretty cool, man. I'm kind of uh, glad you got that together. I, in fact, that's what you showed me when I saw it. Was it a work in progress or was that the finished? No, that was my first project. That was a card holder. Oh God, I'm sorry. I, I, um, yeah. did something else since then. Somebody either has a bad memory or does not pay attention and it's not me. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, man. And I'm working on something new. Just just need the tools to get here. I uh, I need a uh, stamp kit, which is not at all what you what it sounds like. A stamp? I can't even imagine. Okay, I'm sure it's a, leather working involves stamping. Right, like they're just like metal stamps that you hit with a hammer and and print, not you know like anything for the mail. So you can make like initials and monograms and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. You can actually, I mean, I am not, not saying to expect this out of my project, but you can, you can make some pretty impressive um, patterns. Like if you've, if you've ever seen like a, like a cowboy's leather belt, like that is just three or four stamps and a guy with a hammer. So one day, (laughs) but not, not yet. And this is this is how the craft was always done, like even back when cowboys had their belts, that's how they were done. Yeah, I believe so. Probably less nice 
tools, yeah. but you know, and more dysentery and senseless killing. Yeah, it probably smelled <laughs> a little bit worse. <laughs> awesome. So, uh, video gaming and leatherworking. Anything else? Uh, that's about it. Uh, I will say quickly that uh, while I didn't really do this this week, I need a new mouse. My my current computer mouse sucks, and I don't like what the hell is up with computer mice they're either 299 or 175 dollars <laughs> <laughs> those pro gaming mice man they're the cheap ones though uh the best-selling uh gaming mouse on amazon's 12.99 um adjustable dpi led lights uh seven programmable buttons what are they charging all the money for then like the ergonomic ones or something my old mouse is a uh, Microsoft IntelliMouse Explorer 3.0 from like 1999. <laughs> 60 bucks. Really? Yeah. Oh, I, I don't get it. The only thing I can think of is, I mean, I am fond of this mouse. Maybe it was, maybe it has collectible value now that it's not in production. Maybe. I, I really have no idea why. Yeah, I, I don't get it. So uh, you're you're kind of at a loss for a mouse right now? Uh, this one continues to function. I, I can't, it, it's like triple clicking and double clicking and not moving. And that doesn't work. You got that, you got that new rig built too, right? You, you got to have a good mouse. Yeah. Well, I had a nice, um, wireless mouse, but no windows 10 drivers. Oh, so yeah. Unrelated, but sort of related. Now that you got that new computer that can actually push some sweet graphics. How are all those like, uh, naked anime skyrim mods you know i i need to buy i I was actually going to purchase skyrim and what's the uh witcher for pc because not having had a computer for so long everything i have is on playstation 4 and unmoddable yeah man gotta get on those i know you were all about the uh was it morrowind mods back in the day Oh yeah, the Morrowind was great. I mean, I I played probably more time in mods than than on the game. Yeah, well, they're cool from what I can tell, so can't blame you. Awesome, man. Anything else? Nope. Pretty broad ranging, Chris. Can you top that? Probably not, but I'm gonna try. All right, I'll get by with my little fourteen dollar mouse. That's the best selling one, man. It works. You know, what can I say? So following up on our uh, literary bent, I am doing the audiobook for Way of Kings, which is the huge epic for Brandon Sanderson. But this author is much younger, so hopefully he'll finish the series before he passes away. We'll find out. He definitely has that same bend that seems to be in fantasy of getting it really gritty and really dark. He has, like, this one character that's a slave that's just, like, the minute he thinks he's had enough of what it can be to be a slave, they just crank it up to the next level. And then they have another one where it's just this young girl who's a a lady-in-waiting. So it's, like, two different worlds. It's almost more science fiction because it's definitely set on a different world where horses and humans are probably the only mammals and everything else is insects and crabs or crab-like things but i'm enjoying it and it it's kind of i enjoy that part of fantasy where it's kind of a travel log where you see a new world i know some people don't want to get into all that 
And I can understand to some degree with George R. R. Martin, where he goes on and on about, you know, the costuming and what they ate for the day. But this is a little different. I'm enjoying it. Other than that, I've mostly been playing board games. That's how I get my geek on. I've been doing a lot of Lord of the Rings deck building. I've had some friends discover it. Uh, I even had one geeky guy. His wife is now on the geek bandwagon with board games because she just loves the Lord of the Rings deck building game. Did some Fury of Dracula. Enjoying that. That's kind of a cool hidden movement game. And my son and I have just decided to make it official. He and I just do a weekly game together. It's been going on for a while, but now we're just like, okay, this is our weekly thing. And we did Castle Panic with all the expansions. We played it competitive style with I being the monsters and he being the poor hapless castle. We enjoyed it. We had a good time. It's one of the things I like about Castle Panic is you can play it five or six different ways. You can play it competitively. You can play it with like a GM versus the heroes. You can play it total co-op. You can play competitive co-op. doesn't matter. It can fit the vibe of your table. And it's a fun game. Most times it's done in under an hour. That sounds kind of cool. Thanks. Thanks. That's pretty much it. So All hopefully right. I've I've done justice with my $14 mouse. No, some uh you have a completely adequate mouse and have done some tabletop gaming and found a gateway drug game for someone new. That's uh that's always good. And uh that brings it around to Cam who I know has at least a $400 mouse. Uh, I actually don't own a mouse. I only have a laptop. Oh, <laughs> so. man. Oh, you're not even a pro gamer, bro. <laughs> yeah, I know, dude. I'm out of the loop. No, I, um, I had a pretty big weekend. Uh, I was the, uh, panelist extraordinaire at, um, the Magic City Comic Con Doctor Who, uh, track panels. So basically all of the panels that related to Doctor Who this weekend, I was, uh, I was on, uh, at Magic City Comic Con, um, it was a great time. Met a lot of great fans and and you know just Doctor Who enthusiasts. I got a pretty cool picture with Billy Piper, who of course played Rose, the uh, first uh, companion in the reboot uh, back in two thousand five. Um, I was at the con pretty much every day, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Um, it was really cool. I like Magic City Comic Con. It's it has like a it's a, it has a big con feel, but it's small enough where, you know, you know, it's big enough where you don't get bored over three days, uh, but it's small enough where you can, it's, you know, it's a lot more intimate than like Supercon, Megacon, those, those big, huge cons where you can walk around for days and, you know, not see the same person. Um, so had a great time doing that. Uh, took the companion a couple of the days. She had, she had a great time as well. Um, played some board games uh, as well this weekend um actually was defeated by my companion for the first time ever in any game uh and it was at the game of splendor which you guys know i love uh and she actually beat me which is amazing nice she's getting, she's what? Getting really yeah she's getting really good so i have to admit that defeat and that's about it uh just did some like i said some board gaming at the venture game store aside from that uh, just been gearing up for some trips uh thing i mentioned last week i'll be at the new york city toy fair uh next month and actually in a few weeks uh in february uh demoing uh, a bunch of yellow games and uh probably will be gearing up after that for um origins and gen con so 
big con schedule coming up. Looking forward to that. And uh, hopefully going to try to fit in some, uh, some travel and some fun in between. Hey, Cam. Yes, sir. Thank you again for picking up uh, Clockwork Lives by uh, Kevin J. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. I picked up uh, Clockwork Lives for Chris at the con. Uh, Met Kevin J. Anderson. Really nice guy. Uh, Talked about the book a little bit. And, um, you know, he actually, you know, inspired me to read it. So I'll probably read it it as well, Chris. Okay, cool. And it is a beautiful book just as a physical object. Oh, yeah. The the leather, leather bound book with the gold stamping and all that. It's great. Problem is, I just picked up like ten Warhammer 40k novels um, from the Adventure Game Store, and uh, so I'm gonna have to plow through those before I get to anything else. No worries, no worries. The book will still be there. Yes, I'm sure. And that about rounds up my geekly weekly. All right, Cam. Sounds like a pretty con-filled calendar for you so far this year. And uh, that was a pretty cool picture I saw. You guys, like you were having the time. Of your yes, together. Billy Piper and I were laughing hysterically. We were loving it. That is great. You have to fill us in on all the awesome details. And congratulations to your companion for defeating you. Yes, she she will not let me live it down. <laughs> I am sure that was a victory hard won. Oh, <laughs> uh, yes. I seldom win at Splendor, and I don't know if I've ever won against you, so... Well done. She, she's like a savant at Splendor. Like, even like the second time we played, she was like one one turn away from beating me. And uh, since then she's uh, definitely stepped it up. I'm good when I'm really focusing, but I find I'm, all, I'm usually chit chatting and not really paying attention to the 15 <laughs> strategies going on at the table and then end up getting owned. Yeah. That's the one knock on splendor is that it's like, if you're, if, if everyone's really playing, it's like just, you can hear a pin drop. It's so silent, you know, it's not right. very social, social of a game. Right. Right. Yeah. I do enjoy it though. Like, like uh battlefront. I enjoy it even when I'm not winning. Yes. And Sounds like uh, she needs to start a Splendor blog. Ooh, <laughs> called Splendid. Splendid. <laughs> anyway, that brings it around to me. Uh, I don't even have to mention that I've been playing Battlefront and being kind of mediocre at it, as usual. It's cool. I like it. Agreed to disagree with some friends who were telling me how they didn't care for it um, before they went off to go play Halo. I'll say this for people who haven't played Battlefront. If the one and only shooter mode that you enjoy is deathmatch, then you will not enjoy Battlefront. So, or maybe you will, but it won't be as rewarding as other games, I should say. So, so it's more like geared to the campaign. No, I mean it has a passable deathmatch, but it's not as exciting as like Halo, I guess, for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And the group of friends I play online with sometimes they're they're pretty big Halo guys, and so this doesn't really compare. Um, mm. But it has a lot of other modes like Walker Assault, which is my favorite. Have you guys, do you guys ever play the old Atari 2600 game where you're in the airspeeder and you're trying to stop the AT-ATs from attacking your base? Mm-hmm. It was just Empire Strikes Back. Mm-hmm. Basically it's that you're trying to stop the AT-ATs from overrunning your base. Or if you're the Imperials, you're trying to help the AT-ATs overrun the base. Sorry, AT-ATs technically. <laughs> I like that mode. That's awesome. It has like a lot of tension and, and the different shooter modes in the game are fun. And I, I guess it's because I'm not like such an ace shooter that I like the objective-based ways of playing and always have in shooters. Uh, I guess if you're just a hardcore, like, you know, I want to shoot people guy, that's boring or pointless. So I'm actually glad you said that, Tom, because my brother actually just asked me this week whether or not I'd had any experience with that game and whether or not he should pick it up. And uh, he is most decidedly a Halo guy. 
I mean, he he's so good. He's like a 30 kill, one death, like, you know, shooter or whatever when, when he plays those games. So I'll probably tell him to hold off on buying that. Is it on or sale yet? at least yet? rent it. What's that? Is it on sale yet? I think he said he found it on sale somewhere. If it's on sale, I mean, he'll probably just wreck people at it because he's so good at shooters to begin with. Like that, mm-hmm. those skills kind of translate anywhere. Um, he may not find it as deep as like a uh, Battlefield or a Call of Duty or something. Mm. Um, but I, if you like Star Wars, and he wants to just wreck some people. I mean, he can be good at it. I, one of my friends who's like awesome at shooters, like kicked ass in this game. He just didn't like it, you know. Yeah, I don't know. If it's on sale, check it out, and it, maybe it'll get you to play. Then we can all play. That'll be great. Yeah, it might be up his alley because he likes to own people and teabag <laughs> them. <laughs> yeah, he might. He may love it. <laughs> <laughs> um. Right. So yeah, it goes without saying. Playing some more Battlefront. Other than that, it's been kind of a boring week. Um, a lot of work. I've been really busy, which kind of sucks. But I. Found some time for fun. Swung by Corka Comics out by where Brian lives in our hometown of Hollywood. And uh, filled in a couple of holes in my Star Wars collection out there. Got some replacement for some damaged books. Everything has to be pristine, man. This stuff's going to be worth a lot of money someday. Got to be mint. (laughs) Those are readers now. Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) Um. Ended up breaking down and buying the missing Darth Vader with the first appearance of Dr. Afra and her droids uh, online. Had that shipped. Still haven't really inspected it yet, but it appears to be in good shape. Um, so my Star Wars collection is almost complete, just like Obi-Wan's failure. Now you can start working on alt covers. <laughs> oh my god, yeah. Well, I've limited, my, I've limited myself on the variant covers to the ones that I actually like. Like, I'm not going to get the action figure ones because I just don't care for those. Um even though as a true collector, I should probably go for all of them. Um, I just, if, if there's one that I like and it's not like 25 bucks, I pick it up, you know? But uh, yeah, I, I don't get that whole, here's a picture of an action figure on your comic book. Ooh, I don't, I don't get it. It just, it's just, it's just their take on a variant. And I guess they figure, you know, for some Star Wars enthusiasts, that's a, that's a seller. And who, you know, if it's rare, they could pretty much put a piece of dog poop on the front and <laughs> someone's going to want it because it's rare. Right. Oh, okay. I don't want to burst anybody's reality bubble, but it ain't for me. Well, no, I mean, I'm kind of with you, Chris. I, again, I I have collected a lot of the variant covers more than I normally would, just because I think they look badass. Um, but if I see them going for 20 bucks or something, no way. I'll, I mean, I'll pay like maybe 10, which is still re- kind of ridiculous. I think the most I paid was 15 for one that I really liked. I don't even remember which one it was. But yeah, I'm with you, man. Like, I'm not going to be paying crazy money for like a cover I don't care for just because for the collector's value, you know, Mm -hmm. Marvel's doing something. I I think this month is the first month where all of their, their big superhero books have homage covers from hip hop albums. I I really hope they do that with star Wars like next month or something. (laughs) It's going to be like, uh, Darth Vader on the cover of Dre Day or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That could be uh that could be interesting. Some of them are pretty pretty cool looking. Yeah, yeah, I I I, I can only imagine. You seen them already? They're like they've been previewed or Well, I've seen the the ones that are out. I haven't seen any Star Wars ones yet. Okay, okay. I'm hoping they do those. Yeah, yeah, me too. Me too. Um I should admit that the cover I bought was 
a book, uh, the third Darth Vader book, I already have like the third and fourth printing and I had to get the first. And I kind of want all the printings of this, which is all they do is just change the background color. But it's such a cool cover that I want to get them all eventually. Uh, and Brian warned me that it would be hard to find because it was the first appearance of this character. So all the speculators jumped on it. It's three first appearances in one. <laughs> exactly. In just that mocking tone, he told me. Basically, it's this cool like uh, researcher doctor who helps Darth Vader. She's and she's really a cool character. And these two like evil droids, and they are cool characters. And yeah, it's three appearances. <laughs> but um, consequently, I had to go hunting for this this first printing. And uh, I guess I'm part of the problem. What can I say? <laughs> um, apart from that. I must tip my hat to the salesmanship on display at Corka Comics. My companion went with me looking to fill in her My Little Pony and Gem and the Holograms collections and was, um, how do I put this? Was turned on to the virtues of buying the foil uh, number one variant packs. It has all of the (laughs) (laughs) uh, foil variants. And uh, I got to admit, Gem, you know, Gem and the Holograms being like colorful and beautiful and all that. They really do look cool. So I think it was a worthwhile purchase, but I got to give it to the salesman on duty there. Like great job of salesmanship. Like I wanted to buy them and I've never even read the stupid book. (laughs) So (laughs) Gem and the Holograms. And uh, let's see, apart from that, just picking up some more Disney Infinity stuff. I am quickly learning why they call it Disney Infinity. There's no end to the figures. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, oh, in something that's about as interesting as my cell phone experimentation to everybody but me, I got a new cable modem. I bought Yay. one so I could stop paying $10 a month to rent one from the cable company. And uh, eventually I'll have a problem and they'll blame it on my modem and they'll rent me a modem again. But we'll see if I can get away with a year or two of my own equipment. And that's it. That's my exciting week. I I did forewarn you that it was a bit boring. Sounds exciting to me, Tom. Well, yeah. I appreciate that, Cam. I think it was uh, Socrates or Plato or one of those guys that uh, his wish for humanity was that they live in interesting times. And while my my week wasn't particularly interesting, Cam, I know – the world's week certainly was. And I know you're going to bring us all the highlights in this week's news stravaganza. Indeed. Indeed. We do live in interesting times. Um, so interesting now that it seems as if eating poop will make you lose weight. Um, <laughs> a new study suggests that the feces of quote unquote lean people um, in capsule form taken by obese individuals uh, can help kickstart that person's metabolism and make them lose weight. Uh, this studies have been so compelling that they are starting human trials. And so uh, obesity may be solved by a uh, big pile of shit. <laughs> the poop is derived from thin people or? Yeah, like they take the gut bacteria, basically the feces uh, found in the bacteria, uh, the bacteria found in the feces of lean people and in their guts and colons. Uh, they put it in a capsule form and they put it into basically have it taken by obese people and that kickstarts their metabolism. Oh my. Do you get to, do you get to pick whose poop it is? 
<laughs> no, I don't think there's like a Pepsi's flavor ch- choice. <laughs> okay. <I was laughs> Pepsi okay. challenge or anything. But uh, the but real yeah. question is, if you're a skinny person, how much can you charge for your poop? Right. Exactly. It's- Dude, I ain't paying anybody to eat their shit. <laughs> <laughs> it's the currency of the future. I think it depends uh, how attractive they are because I would feel a little bit better <laughs> about doing it if it was somebody attractive. But if it's an ugly person, I would be grossed out even more. <laughs> what I thought was interesting was that like if you put the poop of an obese person into a lean person, it won't survive. But if you put <laughs> the poop of a lean person into an obese person, it will survive and actually make them lose weight. <laughs> that's hilarious so even even skinny people's poop are is better than fat people's poop yeah basically how, how I their, their, their body rejects your lardy poop so don't even yeah. try yes yeah, so i felt pretty sad about that um the maleficent magnanimous tardigrade we all know them uh on the show i'm sure uh people might know them better uh by their cuter name the water bear mm-hmm. um it appears that uh you know well i mean it's sort of urban legend or urban myth about how durable they are. I mean, they are pretty durable. Um, but you know, scientists have been t- testing them, you know, they shoot them out into space. They put them in volcanoes, like they put them all over and, and they've shown an amazing tenacity, uh, and, and ability to survive almost any kind of temperatures uh, and any kind of conditions. Um, some of them that were frozen 30 years ago were thawed out recently and came back to life and were able to reproduce. And uh, not only did they reproduce, but their offspring re- uh, were able to reproduce as well. So the water bear studies continue to try to figure out how we can mimic that in our, I guess, uh, you know, how, how that can translate to helping humans live longer and in harsher conditions. Well, I might eat water bear poop if I was. Uh... <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was thinking water the bear same poop thing. <laughs> <laughs> can live for thirty years on ice. I really uh, want to be a water bear. They're kind of cute. They're very cute in the little like pictures that they show, but I, I, I don't know. Oh, then I, I guess, Tom, you haven't heard the latest other story about water bears. Oh, no. What? They found a cannibalistic breed of them. Oh, no. Did they? Yes, they did. It like attacks its fellow water bear, sucks out the juices, and then beats the neighbors with like the floppy remains of its victim. That's terrible. It doesn't kill them, so it's all right. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. And then another dad, bit with uh, water bears is they found out that they have a lot of cross DNA because since they they dehydrate and all that, their skin cracks. Other bits of DNA from other critters and plants gets into them. So they're a little bit of a weird hybrid sometimes. Whoa, that's that's creepy, man. That, that That's like micro creepy. I, yeah. I should tell you guys a little bit of family history related to the water bear. So <laughs> my kinfolk on my dad's side are, are from the place where the water bear was discovered. That being Waterbury, Connecticut. <laughs> Just wanted to let you know. Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, you, do you also have cross DNA? Is that is that what you're trying to say, Tom? <laughs> yeah, I'm also part asparagus, yes. <laughs> well, speaking of gross things and poop, um, we'll talk about McDonald's. McDonald's uh, in Japan has announced that they have created the McChoco Potato. Which is the basically just their fries drizzled with either white chocolate or regular chocolate. And apparently it's a hit in Japan. People are going crazy for the McChoco potato. How did I guess? Um, they love their weird foods in Japan. Mm. Uh, Tom, this one's for you, actually. The Nintendo NX, the new system that's coming up. 
yeah. uh, to be released by Nintendo. Um, seems some information is leaked uh, that it will run at 900p resolution. Uh, so a healthy upgrade. Yeah, which <laughs> Wait, is that's... woefully inadequate. <laughs> Wait, but the current one does 1080p. What is this 900p nonsense? I, I don't know. They, they basically, there some surveys got leaked about it, and uh, it'll run at 900p. Um, basically, due to the 60 frames per second uh, mode of a lot of games. Um, I mean, they, it says that it also states basically that it'll it'll be able to stream at 4K resolution. So it doesn't really make sense that it would play at 900p, but then stream at 4K. But uh, that seems to be what's indicated by the leaked information. Uh, I mean, that's pure processing power, isn't it? Like, it should be, yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean, this is in keeping with Nintendo's usual uh, pattern of basically dropping their new devices and having basically the same or less technology than the previous devices, you know, by their competitors. Um, but your average uh, phone, yeah. Um, there's all, but there's also some indication that it may be like a handheld console, so that would sort of account for the 900p if it's a smaller screen. Um, but uh, nobody, nobody will know until things get closer and more information comes out. So we're still left to wonder, Tom. I'm sorry. I, I gotta say, I've heard the handheld rumor too, and that may account for the evidently low resolution. It, it would seem like they're going out of their way to shoot themselves in the foot if they just hobble their system out of the gate, unless it has some insane capability, like, you know, projecting the image into your room or something. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, I've sort of lowered my expectations for Nintendo, even though I love them, but uh, we'll see. I guess we'll have to wait Mm. and see. Mm. Okay. Uh, Speaking of gaming systems, uh, Oculus Rift founder Palmer Lucky uh, is being sued by his former employer, uh, because apparently the former employer paid him to develop this technology. Uh, then he just took it and went out on his own and created it uh, or, and used it um, and then got bought out, you know, for billions by, uh, by Facebook. So that lawsuit basically is proceeding as planned. Uh, a lot of emails were, were released and, and uh, leaked that basically show this guy lucky saying, yeah, um, yeah, don't worry. Like I'm creating this for you and only for you. Don't worry. And then uh, he basically just left <laughs> and started his own company. Oh, wow. Uh, so he, he straight up, I mean, okay. I was just going to ask if like the company he worked for was like a dry cleaning company or something. <laughs> no, 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 no. He he was basically in, in 2000, I think 11 or 2010, he was contracted uh, by a company uh, to total called Total Recall Technologies, which is kind of funny, actually the name, but um, he basically was contracted to, create virtual uh virtual reality technology and uh he did and then he he basically hijacked it and well i mean allegedly oh, shit i didn't think it'd work yeah uh, allegedly uh you know did it and then uh went out on his own started his own company and then uh got bought out by facebook wow i now i'm no lawyer but uh <laughs> it seems to me if you're contracted to do something and you execute on the contract and then don't and take what you're supposed to deliver to the person with whom you contracted and profit from it yourself. They're yeah. somehow owed something. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Nice. Well, and it's so egregious that, well, from the lawsuit, the lawsuit basically says that 
After completing the first prototype, Lucky took the feedback he received from the company, used it to develop his own head-mounted display, and that is what became the Oculus Rift. Wow. Yeah. So we'll see how that goes. It's like a, it's a very like face. I mean, and it's funny that Facebook bought them because it's very like a, it's very much a, how that Facebook social network sort of thing started with, you know, everyone claiming they created it or, you know, whatever with the Winklevoss twins or whatever they, yeah. is that their name? Yeah. The Winklevi. Yeah. Um, so we'll see what happens. Uh, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure the guy's going to get paid. It's just a matter of what, how much he's going to get paid. The, the total recall technologies company. Maybe he'll be able to afford one. Yeah, yeah <laughs> exactly. Uh, and last but not least, uh, it appears that uh, a new JJ Abrams movie is coming out in March, which he kept completely secret until like this past weekend. Um, it's called 10 Cloverfield lane. Yeah. And uh, no one knew about it. Apparently it just, it, he just kept it a secret and um, over the weekend, tr- you know, during trailers uh, or during uh, viewings of um, the new movies that came out, uh, just this random trailer just popped up and it's uh, sort of kind of cryptic and it just shows like this family and they're like, you know, seems like everything's nice and they're watching TV. And then you find then, you know, as it goes on, you see that like, you know, the woman is cap. Uh, there's a woman that's captive and they're uh, underground in some like bunker. Um, apparently it's a movie about like, uh, you know, post-apocalyptic survival after some virus is spread, you know, on the, on the, uh, on the planet. And, uh, I mean, it's crazy that it's coming out in March and no one knew about it until, you know, basically this week. Why does it have Cloverfield in the name? I wonder. Well, that's the thing. When it first came out, people thought it would be a, a sequel to Cloverfield. The, you know, the, the movie, uh, Abrams made in 2008 with the big monster. Um, but now it's just, they're just speculating that it's, I guess, I guess when he first started out, he worked off of a street called Cloverfield. So maybe he just likes that name or that's, that's just what he likes to use. I sure. don't think it's going to be a direct sequel to Cloverfield, the, the monster movie. Um, but that's the name of it. I don't know. I kind of liked the idea in my head canon of what it was going to be. Because, you know, like with the original Cloverfield, it was the crazy tick things that turned out to be just as much of a danger as like the big monster itself. Yeah, because if they bit you, they, you got that whatever bacteria yeah, you ex- or whatever. you exploded you in like 24 hours or something. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought that kind of like Cloverfield meets the mist would be this movie. That's what I was hoping it was going to be. Maybe. I mean, really, no one really knows anything about it except what was in the trailer. So uh, it may be, you know, in the same universe but just like a different, you know, a different problem mankind has to encounter, you know. They're actually, they're under New York City or wherever the movie took place, you know, because they nuked the monster and they're living in a fallout shelter. Yeah. Like they think the world has ended. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I definitely will see it just because of J.J. Abrams. I mean, the guy can do no wrong in my eyes. So uh, I will definitely be there. Uh, And with that, uh, that rounds out the new Stravaganza. All right. Um, I hope whoever's taking over in the absence of JJ on the next Star Wars can can do a good job because uh, I really like Seven and uh, Eight better be awesome. <laughs> and that's it. That's it for the news. That's it for the weekly geeklies. And that's it for the episode. Good night. 
<laughs> no, no, <of> not. <laughs> it's actually really good that we ended up talking about movies. And I'm sure that you planned it that way, Cam, when you were arranging your news segment. It was no accident, my friend. Hmm, excellent. Well done. Well, it's good because we're going to transition to tonight's topic now, which is how much better the movie always is than the book, right? Yeah. <laughs> I think sure. that will probably be our consensus, a little foreshadowing. But <laughs> yeah. uh, not everyone holds our, you know, uh, our, our opinion. You're right. I've I've heard it said that some people actually in general tend to prefer books and can and on occasion find the film adaptations of their favorite books to be lacking. Um, I can't imagine this, but uh, I'm told it happens. So uh, I think we should discuss really. What was the movie that we were talking about when this came up? You know, Starship Troopers. Yeah. Starship Troopers. Now that was, that was, that was a one for one, like, that was like a paragraph by paragraph representation of the book, right? Heinlein, yeah, exactly right. They kept some of the names. <laughs> What's funny is just randomly this past weekend, I uh, Starship Troopers three was on cable, and I watched that stinking pile of poop all the way through. Uh, I guess like the second one didn't have. Um, what's the guy that played Johnny Rico in the first one? Casper Van, Van Dien. Dien. Yeah, yeah. This third one does have him in, the, in it. <laughs> I guess he came, he came back. I don't think he was in the second one, and then he came back for the third one. And it was terrible. I, I, I have such a love-hate relationship with three because three is more faithful to the book than one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's so low budget. It's, like, so bad. It's like they're, like, you, it's, like, looks kind of looks like they're filming in someone's basement almost. Oh, it's bad. You can see the strings on the on the giant insects. No, but it's like oh, the, just the set design and like the 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 costumes and I don't know, it's just bad. Now I'm torn whether I should see it or not. Fidelity versus how bad it looks. It it's it's actually I mean if if you enjoyed one, I think you could enjoy three. Just yeah, yeah. You gotta take it with a big grain of salt, for sure. Not selling me. Not selling me. <laughs> Was it like RoboCop three level bad? Uh, I I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm maybe I'm being a little too harsh, but I mean, it, it's it, like Phantom Menace bad. Ouch. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I mean, I, it was it was nice to see Johnny Rico again. Uh, that's for sure. Um, it was nice to see somebody. Named Johnny Rico, I guess, but, uh, yeah. yeah. So Starship Troopers, when I saw the movie, I had not yet read the book and I enjoyed it. I thought it was all right. I thought it was good. It was like a cool popcorn, like kill them all, like space combat movie. And it is. Yeah. Yeah, and I, it is. I, yeah. On its own. If you didn't even know that it was a book, I mean, I, you you'd probably love it. It's a great movie. But they could have called it like, orbital drop exterminators or something yeah, you yeah. know they should have just called it halo yeah basically yeah. <laughs> um because it's got next to nothing to do with the book other than that there is a hostile race that the human race is fighting it's mainly like i mean there's a lot of political commentary and the experience of like 
basically going through basic training in this very like service before self society, right? Uh, am, am I summarizing it correctly? You guys think? Yeah, I mean, I liked that. I mean, I liked that it was sort of like the old like news reels, like of like World War Two world, you know, when that people used to watch back, you know, back in the day before movies and stuff like that, and they sort of translated that to the future. Um, I liked that a lot, and I liked the fact that. I mean, it did hold true a little bit in terms of like they tried to hit some of the political points, I think, from the book. But I mean, it was just sort of it was just sort of overlaying on top of the just kill them all, shoot them all movie, <laughs> basically. Well, they they tried to tackle it through satire and parody as compared to how the book was taking yeah. it on as a more straightforward approach. Right. And well, because, the, I mean, they probably thought no one wants to sit through, you know, two hours of browbeating. You know? It's a small book. See, back in the day, we didn't have these 1,000, 2,000-page doorstoppers. Right. I'm sure Starship Troopers isn't more than 300 pages at most, even closer to 250, probably. You could probably, yeah, nowadays, but, you could read it like in an afternoon. Well, you could, but to Cam's point, <laughs> to the average person out there, it would be browbeating, and nobody wants to go to a movie to learn. Um, <laughs> so, they might have possibly been able to do it as like an indie, low-budget flick. Yeah, but yeah, there's there's no way anybody would have sat through that. Yeah, from Hollywood, from quote unquote Hollywood. Right. Well, and and <laughs> Tom, you sort of reminded me of my uh, the point that I wanted to make, which is. I've never heard someone who likes the movie better than the book actually say, oh, yeah, the movie was much better than the book. Um, with the exception of The Giver, I believe. Um, but I've never read The Giver, so I don't know. But someone actually told me that The giver, the movie was way better than the book. But um, the only time I ever hear that is when someone's like, why do I have to read the book? I'll just watch the movie. Oh, <laughs> you, know? you touched on a spot I wanted. <laughs> we'll get to that I mean, later, Cam. Yeah, I don't. I hardly never. I hardly ever hear anyone say, "Oh, the movie was better than the book." It's more of like, "Well, why the hell would I want to read when I can just, you know, watch the the moving pictures?" Well, for me, real quick, uh, the, the irony of of Starship Troopers is there's another classic power armor novel out there called Armor by John Steckley that would actually be much closer and it's got the bugs and everything but it's a different story in fact in a weird way you've probably seen it already if you've seen the edge of tomorrow or oh, whatever it's being called tom today emily blunt yeah. yeah tom cruise has the science fiction groundhog day thing in armor what happens is there's like a computer screw up the odds of surviving the attack are so low the computer doesn't believe you survived so it takes it off as an error and keeps sending him down <laughs> So that would actually you could have put that on the co on the cover of Starship Troopers and it would have been even more close to the satire that was in Armor. Interesting. But yeah, I mean for me, I actually had one moment of weakness where I was like, "You know what? I'm not going to read the book. I'm going to watch the movie." And I like to read books. This was The Road. The Road. Oh, is that the one with um uh, where it's like you don't know what happened, but basically the world is, has ended, and the guy's walking with his son. Yeah, yeah, because the book, the book makes the movie look like Adventure Time. Uh. It's just relentlessly 
bleak. <laughs> and I was like, I just, after about 10 pages, I couldn't make through it. And I oh. just went, you know what? I'm going to watch The Road because at least The Road would be done in two hours. Right. Yeah, I've never read the book, so I don't know. Uh, uh, I can't make the comparison, but I did see the movie. And I, I actually wasn't really that much of a fan of the movie, but I can't imagine if the book was, <laughs> if the book is worse than that, then I, I'm glad I didn't read it. Were you not a fan because of the bleakness or? Um, it just wasn't. I just didn't think it was that great of a movie. I mean, it was just this guy walking along with his kid for <laughs> two for two hours and like, you know, just getting beat up and shot at and, you know, I mean, I don't want to ruin the ending, but basically it's, there was, there wasn't really much of a happy ending. It just kind of just, just drug along like that. And it wasn't even like a good, like post-apocalyptic Mad Max, you know, kind of thing. It was like, or interesting anyway, not maybe not good. Good's probably not the right word, but it wasn't even interesting. It was just like, okay, something happened to the world. And then they don't even tell you what it is, which always bugs me too. Is that like, I want to know what happened, you know? Tell me why the world is, has ended, you know? Uh, See, it's a difference between being a geek and being literary. Yeah, you don't, you don't know why. <laughs> you want to know, know why. That, yeah, you just know why the world's fucked. You just know the world's fucked up. You don't know why. And you got to watch this guy and his kid get, you know, kicked around for two hours and when you don't think it could get any worse it gets worse it gets worse exactly oh man i mean you know the, the, i could have just saved 10 bucks and had my brother kick me in the mouth <laughs> <laughs> that sounds awful yeah But yeah, I remember especially back before we had streaming and all of our options, and we only had network television, there were just so many people that'd be like, nah, I'm going to wait for the movie to come out. And then I'll wait till it's on television. <laughs> read. Why do you want to read? Well, I really would. Like, what percentage of the population reads? I mean, not is literate or can read, but reads actually for pleasure, sits reads down to read. Yeah, actually sits down and reads. Isn't it like 8% of people have read a book since high school? Oh my god, please tell me that's not true. We can look it up. It's, yeah, it's I'm, shockingly low. I'm looking it up as we speak. <laughs> but I bet it's low. I bet it's super low. I admit to going through lulls where I don't read for quite a while. But uh, then I have like spurts where I'm reading constantly. So I can't imagine. I can't imagine not reading. It's, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, uh, I love to do it. I've loved to do it since I was a kid. Um, but I think like, you know, like many other things with our generation, I think they're dying out it's, or it's dying out. And, uh, well, I mean, obviously we're, everyone's going to keep reading as we go forward, but, um, I just think the act of reading for pleasure with like a tactile book in your hand is going the way of the dodo. Mm. I mean, if it's being replaced by reading on a tablet or something, that's not so bad. But if it's just like, I don't want to read, that's depressing. Um, one more example, if you guys will, and then I want to branch into a more general conversation. Do you have that figure yet, Cam? I'm just seeing one thing that says 28% of Americans have not read a book in the last year. Yikes! Which would mean that 62% have, though, or 72%, Jesus. Uh, 72% have, right? Um, yeah, uh, but I don't know, uh, 
are we talking we were talking read for pleasure like i want to sit down and read not because i have to but because i want to um it's a, a snapshot of reading and this is but this is a little old from two, 2013 um as of january 2014 76% of american adults ages 18 and older say that they read at least one book in the they've read at least one book in the past year oh that's good but see i i like i never believe surveys because people always people always answer what they think you want to hear you know I, I I would venture to say that it's it's much lower than seventy six percent of people that have actually read a book. Seventy six seventy six percent of Americans have read or aspire to read, and so answered that they have read. Right <laughs> in the in the in the past year. Okay, that's kind of pathetic. These are even older, I'm afraid. Uh... But I guess they're officially researched. The Jenkins Group uh, from 2007. So this is kind of out of date. 70% of books published do not make a profit. Um, 57% of new books are not read to completion. 70% of U.S. adults have not read a been in a bookstore in the last five years. 80% of U.S. families did not buy or read a book last year. One third of high school graduates never read another book the rest of their lives. 42% <laughs> of college graduates never read another book after college. That, that can only have gotten worse in the last nine, 10 years. Maybe because of cell phones and availability and short form eh, might have picked up a little bit. Mm, that's kind of sad. <laughs> uh, I just think, you know, unfortunately we're just a, society of sound bites now you know it's just well two, you know 30 minute clips videos you know th that's it that's all we that's all we consume well that actually gets me to another discussion i want to have but before we move on to it um do you guys have another example of a book that didn't make a good translation into film i'll throw this out there just to see what you guys thought, because some people loved it, some people didn't. Who's read Ender's Game? I, I have. have. Ooh, stereo. What'd you think of the movie? Uh, uh, yeah, uh, I didn't. I didn't mind it, but I, I didn't think it was that good. Yeah, I, th that's kind of where I'm at. Like, could have been better, but I don't think people would have enjoyed the character development. Honestly. I don't know. We can do spoilers or not. I won't talk about what the big secret is, but I was so confused that they just, they clued the audience in on the big secret in the movie. And and it just felt like, like no investment for me whatsoever. Because, oh, they, they because you already knew what, what was going to happen because you read it or because you, because you, uh, you were getting foreshadowing in the movie. Well, I mean, they they kind of just gave it away. Didn't oh, they? at the end, it was, they did. I, yeah. No, yeah. no, I mean, like, I mean, before the end, like the audience knew, but he didn't. Oh, right, right, right. Oh, did they like wake? I mean, wow. Is Ender's Game still something like about spoilers we need to worry about? Um, it's kind of an old movie <laughs> and an older book, so let's yeah. just say it's spoiler free at this point. So you're saying that they, they, they basically revealed to you that what, what he thought was a game was actually 
an annihilation of this alien race. When I read the book, I, you know, I, I guess you kind of like maybe think, oh, could it be or something like that? But I like when they when they told him, I, I was like blown away too. Like it really was like a huge impact, like like almost like the point of the book. And it and it certainly set the tone for the other other books. But in the movie, you're just like, oh, yeah, it's a game. He doesn't know. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, do you think... And the audience but, but, knew but Brian, you... probably like an hour before before the end of the movie. So where was the impact? But, Brian, do you think that, that because you had read the book, that that sort of colored your perception of what was being said in the movie? Like, because, <sighs> I mean, the way I remember... And this was a couple of years ago that I saw the movie. But the way that I sort of saw... And I knew, you know, I knew what was going to happen, too, but... You know, I don't know that they came out 100%, and I may be remembering wrong, but I, I don't know that they came out and actually told you, but they basically, like, those conversations with, like, the 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 military leader or whatever and, and his shrink about, like, you know, oh, he's got to be ready. Like, we can't wait. Like, I don't know. I, I don't know. Like, I mean, I guess, like, yeah, I kind of picked it up like you. Like, like, all right, well, you know, obviously they're getting him ready for this, but, like, I don't know if someone that walked in there without reading the book would have necessarily put that together. It could have been pre-knowledge. Mm. I think it was a common complaint, though. So oh, I'm not. Maybe. I'm not yeah. really sure what someone completely fresh would have felt. Yeah. Did they leave that open for sequels at the end? Like, did he have the little like alien queen that he was going to take around? And yeah, yeah, he le- yeah yep. he actually like flew away. Like he le- yeah he actually like left the planet. At least they set that up. Yeah, I don't think we'll see a sequel, but. Yeah, I don't think financially they'll bother with a sequel. Right, right. Ender's Game 2, the end. (laughs) (laughs) This time, it's for real. (laughs) Bugging out. Um, (laughs) So yeah, uh, okay, some some definite examples of books failing to make the leap into film. We could definitely get into things like The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings, where certain license was taken for the sake of, well, three movies in, in the case of The Hobbit and uh, making it a kick-ass movie in the case of The Lord of the Rings. <laughs> I cite, for example, the shield surfing, uh, etc. But that said, I wanted to get on to another discussion. I think it was Chris that said, you know, things just or i think it was you cam we want sound bites we want to be fed we we don't want to consume we don't want to feed ourselves right so let's say that for the sake of discussion reading is feeding ourselves the movie is being fed what's an audiobook isn't does an audiobook count as reading or is it less enriching do you not absorb it like is it less noble to consume an audiobook is there a hierarchy of movie audiobook book that kind of thing well i definitely think traditional readers look down on audiobooks a little bit but that's i think just a look down on ebooks too so yeah you know to me audiobooks have always been included in my repertoire only because uh in various points in my life i've done a ton of traveling or where i was either driving or in a position where i couldn't read a book so it sort of stuck with me ever since then and like i think we talked about a few episodes back like I need to have something going on in the background all the time. So audiobooks, which have sort of been replaced by podcasts now uh, that I listen to, um, fit that bill perfectly. Um, 
but I, I don't know what your guys' experience is. Like, I, I mean, I, I don't, if it's an unabridged audiobook, I mean, it's to me, you're, you're getting the same exact information as if you read it, you're just hearing someone else read it. You know, I, I think that's a far cry from, you know, a 30 minute soundbite or a 30 second soundbite on, you know, Kanye West and Kim Kardashian. And when it comes to the visuals that you're imagining with an audiobook, I assume they're pretty much the same. The only difference is, you know, your audio is being replaced a little bit. Yeah, you're getting instead of the like voice of someone in your head, it's the voice of whoever's narrating the audiobook. Which I don't mind. And I think Chris, you and I talked about this before. Whoever's reading the audiobook really makes or breaks whether or not you can you can you can stomach it, you know. Exactly, exactly. Or at least they can sweeten the medicine as it goes down if the book isn't, you know, yeah. as engaging as it could be. Yeah, it's it's definitely an art form in itself. And some books don't lend themselves so much to audio, uh, especially when you read them as is, where like, you know, a writer might go, he said, she said, and that's fine when you're reading it. But when you're listening to it and it's like, and I have a quote, he said, that sounds just a little off because you don't hear broadcast being done that way. Right. What about you, Brian? I know you are, you're not into audiobooks, are you? Just, just personally, I don't really do a lot of them. Um, I think I had a couple of really rotten experiences because I, I had years ago, just some terrible narrators, probably before there was even any money in it and they couldn't hire good people. But I, I can see how that's much more authentic or much more involving than just a movie. E even if they're doing voices and they're kind of lending, because I, I think the beauty of an audio book is someone is walking through the book with you. You know, it is someone's interpretation. So that, that might be actually a little bit easier for a lot of people, which, which I'm all for anything that makes people think who might not otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> the way you I'd rather you listen to a, an audio book than not read it all. I mean, that's, that's an easy choice. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you're right. Like back then, well, I mean, I think the time you're talking about, I mean, I, I, I had audio books like on cassette tape. You yeah, know? they were on cassette. And then you, you yeah. got like this big thing of like 24 cassette tapes that you had to like keep turning over and you know, replacing. <laughs> uh, and then it moved to CDs, which was were significantly smaller. But then like nowadays, it's like it's big business, especially with voiceover actors and like, you know, and, and back then it was like you typically the, the author that read it. So if you had an author that was great at writing but had a shitty voice, <laughs> it was terrible. Oh, as a quick side note, by the way, um, like the Wave Kings I'm listening to right now, it actually has two narrators, one for the male character and one for the female character. And uh, I'm enjoying it a bit more that way. Oh, wow. Huh. So that's more like an audio drama then. Yeah, well, they don't really interact with each other. I haven't seen a chapter where they would and, and what would happen. But I mean, they're they're two separate characters and two separate sides of a continent. So, yeah. Well, well, the other thing too is that like I I I really like the spoken word because when Doctor Who went off the air back before after the oh, Eighth Doctor, yes. um, really all you could get in terms of content for of new content for Doctor Who were audio dramas produced by the BBC, and um, so you know that sort of if you're into that kind of thing then i think you're probably more inclined to listen to audiobooks than read so if i 
am understanding you guys correctly, reading is the highest pursuit. Audiobooks are maybe the next best thing if you cannot, or audio dramas, what have you. And movies are, of course, the most vulgar form. And um, I kind of agree with you. And as you were talking, I was trying to figure out why I agreed with you. And I think it's because of the level of work you are required to do when consuming each. With a movie, you're observing. Like it's being presented to you. All of your senses are, are engaged and satisfied. And there's no real need for interpretation. There is some interpretation in movie after the fact, but what's presented is presented. With an audiobook, um, was it you, Brian, that said that somebody's on the journey with you? Yeah. And you're getting their interpretation. So some of the work's being done for you. You still have to visualize everything, and they may give personality and life to the words and the characters but it's still left to you to fill in a lot of the blanks and to imagine things as they're described. And then there's reading, which involves the most work because you have to take in the words and parse them and interpret them and paint the scenes and give the voices like all of the work is required. Um, I don't know if you guys agree with me, but that's my, that's my explanation for why I agree with you uh, that that hierarchy exists. I had a friend of mine, she couldn't finish Cloud Atlas because for her, trying to decipher the written version of the spoken dialects was just, that was it. Too much work for her. The movie or the book? The book. The book is written in dialects. I never read the book, but I saw the movie. I'm wondering if you, did you, re, did you see the movie as well, Chris? What would yes, you think yes that, I did. How do you think that translated? Well, they're both ambitious projects that to some degree are a little bit of a mess. <laughs> yeah. I think for what they tried to do, I give them I give them an A for effort. They tried to stay close to the, the theme of the book. You know, they had to cut a lot of stuff out because there was even more going on in there. Oh, and as a uh, counter-argument, do you think there are some movies that were faithful or maybe even overly faithful to the books. Huh. If I can step in before we tackle sure. that, I'd, I'd like to just disagree with Tom a little bit. I don't think it's necessarily the medium that should be ranked. I think it's the intent because there's some absolute shit books and there are some brilliant movies, but usually I find when you're taking a book that's good enough to be made into a movie, you're, you're trying to squeeze it into a time frame instead of being faithful to the story first. So I think if, if, if someone writes an original movie and, and, and shoots it, you know, planning for movie from the beginning and, you know, using movie storytelling techniques and tricks and cinematography and even scores. God, after uh, The Force Awakens, I don't think anybody should forget how important a score is. Mm. That leads to a good movie. If you take a 60-hour audiobook and why we got to get this into 90 minutes or people will leave, of course something's going to suffer. 
okay, so it's not one medium is not necessarily more or less noble than the other. It's the craftsmanship and the thought that goes into creation is your argument, Brian. In a vacuum, I don't think one's better than another. If there's a book and a movie, I'm willing to bet the book is better. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> well, that, that, you know, Brian, that leads us back to a lot of what we've talked about when it comes to the Song of Ice and Fire and Game of Thrones. Is it a useful exercise to even compare the two, to compare literary works to a TV show or compare literary works to uh, a movie that has been inspired, I'll say inspired by them? Um, or is it just you know, more useful to just say, hey, look, we live in the times that we live in. Books are books. Movie shows and TV shows are TV shows. Look at them as separate works in a vacuum and take each of them for what they are. I think Game of Thrones is kind of new territory because it it is 60 hours. It could have been verbatim. But then just creatively, they decided to do different things. So I think people expected book level storytelling out of it because it wasn't like, oh, it's two hours. Let's squeeze it down and just hit the high points. But I'm not sure that's a fair expectation. Yeah, because because it's not just time, right? It, it, it's it's the audience that you're going after, right? Like you can't you, you have to cater to ratings. I mean, that's the whole idea behind you know putting you know or or ticket sales, which demographics for are vastly different than book sales. I would imagine. I think too th- that it may not be a great story for you or I or Tom or, or Chris, because we know what the story could be. This, the song of ice and fire could be, but it, it sounds like it's a really solid story on its own. Yeah. I mean, most people who are unfamiliar, like really enjoyed it. No one said like, Oh my God, I can't believe they even bothered. It was so different. Why didn't they just call it something else? They didn't parody and just keep a few names or satire and just keep a few names. It's it's, it's a really good series, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's just, yeah, if you look it's just at hard it, for us to let yeah, go. If you look at it in a, yeah. And, and, and that's sort of the point I was getting at where I think in my older, you know, as I get a little older and I lose that sort of piss and vinegar of my youth, I have gone from the, Oh my God, this has to be true to the book or, you know, I can't believe they butchered the literary works that way too. All right, it's going to happen. Whatever. You know, I'll uh, I can compartmentalize the two in my head. The book stands on its own, the movie or the TV series stands on its own and let me look at each with fresh eyes and, you know, maybe not even make a connection between the two, just look at them as two separate things and 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 decide from there. Even a miniseries, like a television miniseries before, would have been nine hours, right? right. Six hours, nine hours? Yep. Nothing compared to, what is it, going on six seasons now? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah something like that, yeah. So I, I think from the beginning, I think if they had said, look, we're calling a Game of Thrones because it's not those fucking books. Right we would have been much more comfortable with it. But there's so many similarities. And especially now that 
the Game of Thrones is spoiling A Song of Ice and Fire. You know, that actually feels like a little like knife twisty to me. But again, it is its own thing. So. Just to give you uh, an idea of something in the same wheelhouse, The Expanse, which also is based off of several books in a series that happen to be from people who have worked with George R.R. Martin in the past. It seems like they've learned some of the lessons. Instead of trying to do one book per season, they're doing the opposite. From what I've heard, only half of the first book is going to be the first season for The Expanse. Huh. Now, on top of that, they are adding new things, but so far, none of the fans have been screaming, all oh, this new stuff sucks. We don't like it. If anything, it seems like they're adding more backstory and flashbacks to the people that were mentioned in the book. Have you read any of the books, Chris? Yeah, yeah. I read the first one, Leviathan Awakes. It was good. I liked it. I okay. actually want to catch up with the other two. And yeah, it is going slower. It's like the first four episodes, I think, is maybe the first 20 pages. Wow. Yeah, I definitely want to go back and read the books because I, I, I'm i a huge fan of the show, uh, but I've not had occasion to read the books yet. Yeah, good stuff, right? Right, right. Yeah, yeah, I definitely enjoy it. You might be better off not reading the books. Yeah. Well, that, well, that's another thing, too, is that maybe it's better to consume the book or the series first. I'm sorry, the, the series or the movie first, and then go back and read the book because you won't have those spoilers it'll it'll it's almost like a fill in of of backstory that you didn't get from the movie you know what i mean yeah this is what they're doing with the expanse so far it's kind of the other way around but i i don't see many people doing that for like actually watching a movie and then going back and reading the book <laughs> maybe reading the graphic novel yeah you'd be surprised for the Jim Butcher, who did the Dresden Files, he said that failed series gave him a million dollars in sales. Yeah. New readers who never would have touched him if he hadn't been, you know, hadn't had a sci-fi series on. Well, Brian, since you touched on graphic novels, what did you guys think of Sin City? As opposed to the Frank Miller novels. Uh, now, see, I loved that movie. Never read the books. Huh. Ditto. Yeah, ditto. I thought they were fairly authentic to me. Yeah, and I think it helped that Miller was like supremely involved in making the movie. Definitely. Well, that kind of got into what I wanted to talk to. What about some books that may have been actually really faithful? How well did they compare? I'm sorry, movies <laughs> that were very faithful to the books. And how did they compare? Yeah, like overly faithful maybe you were asking? Before, I'm thinking of right? The Watchmen. Oh. I think the Watchmen could have been a little less faithful. Why you think the movie suffered for it? Holy yeah, to the, yeah. The... I mean, they did change the ending. They actually improved the ending. I thought, at least in a visual medium, you wouldn't have been able to get that punchline they had. In what way did it stick too close to the book, though? Yeah, they had a lot of the same scenes, but they all just kind of seemed to drag out as compared to being, you know, you were squeezing it into two and a half hours. It just, to me, it, it was just a little too beat for beat. It's a lot easier to go beat for beat with a, you know, 30 or whatever, 50 page graphic novel. than You know what I mean? Than like oh, a 300 page book. Well, you practically have the storyboards, right? Yeah. I know this is blasphemous, but I really, the movie wasn't that great. 
And no, that's I part of the reason why I think it I, isn't I is because I thought it was too faithful. And I think they could have streamlined it a little bit. I absolutely could have missed probably about 45 minutes mm-hmm, of that movie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Well, maybe that suffered because they didn't have enough content and they didn't want to add new stuff. Like, you know, like, like you're saying, Chris, maybe they just drug out the different scenes from the, from the, from the novel, from the graphic novel to actually, you know, sort of an opposite of what Brian was saying, trying to condense uh, a, a big book into two hours. They had to expand a comic basically into a two hour movie. But it's not a small comic, is it? I have to take it uh, off my shelf and see it. It's it's not that it's not that big. I mean, I think I think I read it in like thirty minutes. So I, I, the... I, have it, I have it on my shelf too. I, I, I got to take a look at it. Uh oh, comparing shelves now. <laughs> on the flip side, Harry Potter. Most of the movies were fairly faithful to the books, and they knocked it out of the park nine times out of ten. Hmm. Uh-oh. What they didn't do, like I really just don't understand again. Why would they not have shown Dumbledore's funeral? Yeah, I mean that's guaranteed tearjerker, you know, and compelling. They didn't. I'm trying to remember. No, they just showed him. Not showed him when a he split fell. second of it. He fell, and the next thing, Voldemort was grave robbing him. Oh, see, I have that scene so stuck in my head from the book, I can't imagine that it's not been in the movie. I promise you, I could have sworn I've seen it. And I just think, at that point, I think all the characters in the movie were the characters I was reading in the book, and I've just mentally switched it out. (laughs) Whoops. And I agree, if they didn't show it, they they should have. That would have been been good stuff. And, And that's kind of why I think taking a book and making a movie is is lesser stock because there's no reason not to show that well and to that that sort of goes back to Tom's point which is in a movie you're not doing any real work you're 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 extremely passive when it comes to what you're consuming you're going in you're paying for your ticket you're sitting down you're stuffing your face and you're watching someone else's not even someone else's but hundreds and hundreds of else's interpretation of that movie or of that work um because you know that it's gone through so much editing so much you know so much review and scrutiny so much you know legal review so much uh review by suits saying, look, you know, you got to add this or take that out. You know, we don't want to get in in trouble with housewives or, you know, we don't want the NAACP to come in and get mad at us or, you know, uh, or we need to do this because, you know, to uh, appeal to a broader audience, all that has already been done prepackaged and condensed down into a hour and a half, two hour consumable package for us really just like everything else in life, you know, everything is prepackaged, pre, uh, pre-made, pre-sold, pre, you know, just pre-ready for us to consume. Just, and that was even splitting the movie into two. Yeah. See, that's why my memory's faulty is because I didn't want to see part one until part two was out. <laughs> I wanted to see them back to back because I figured I wouldn't remember enough of one if I didn't see the other. Or you could have just watched one again before you watch number two. (laughs) (laughs) 
That was an option. <laughs> it was. It wasn't the option I wanted. My God. <laughs> oh, man. But, yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, I, I guess that's a broader argument or a broader uh, conversation to have in terms of, you know, how our lives have been sort of condensed down into these, you know, basically the fight club uh, scenario where, you know, we, we all have we're, we're all just bite size, you know, everything's bite size, everything's consumable, everything's disposable. It's all appealing to our, our sense of, or our need or want for convenience. And I think that's the heart of the difference because most books don't cater to that yet. Right. But television has to, TV has to. If anything, I think the reason why we have a golden age of TV is, yes, they do do that, but they used to do it even worse back in the day, believe it or not. When it was sitcoms, it had to wrap up everything in a half an hour, and all television was episodic. There was few, if no, meta plots strung along several episodes or seasons. I agree with you guys, but I think it was, for television, it was much worse at one point. Yeah. I mean, it didn't. It didn't really exist at one point. I think you're right. I mean, everything was a, an episode. You know, there was no like story arc to go through. Exactly. It was oh, what did we get into? You know, I find it a little ironic at some point because we've we talk about how nothing's original in Hollywood, and they're stealing franchises and reboots and sequels and sequels, and. For the, you know, in the 90s and the 80s and the 70s, the complaint was, oh my God, can Hollywood do an original movie that isn't from a book? It gotten so bad that a lot of writers wrote like two or three books and then they just lived off the options that Hollywood would keep taking on their books as kind of like their retirement money. I think we've forgotten that a little bit. Yeah. Well, I mean, different times, different, different audience, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I... I imagine there's more oh. movies now too so more movies and more books especially if you include amazon's trying to give you content machine yeah and not only that but i mean you've got so many other you have so many other things now to occupy your time it's not just movies or books or tv it's you know youtube and blogs and and uh podcasts and webisodes and you know there's a billion different things out there now that we didn't have before um, streaming TV shows that are actually yeah. 13 hour long movies. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I think just the options have grown so much that, you know, it's a totally different landscape. I agree. I agree. What do you think, Tom? About what specifically? It's, it's so <laughs> I'm not even sure what to <laughs> focus in on. Actually, I'm asking that seriously. What do I think about what in particular, Chris? Because <laughs> I was contemplating a lot of stuff while we were talking. Well, any of the things we talked about. Well, I was still kicking around in my head examples of movies that were too faithful. I was really trying to come up with any, and I don't think I can save maybe two examples. And apologies for dwelling on this as you guys were discussing other things, but it really had me thinking. One. The Hulk, the <laughs> Ang Lee movie, The Hulk. <laughs> yeah. I won't say it stuck too close to any particular storylines, but at a certain point with some of the weird camera shots and, and really a lot of the 
the background stuff. I think they really forgot that it wasn't a comic book. Like I get, you know, the, the whole thing with like painting in frames and all this stuff to make it comic book. Like the movie kind of suffered and the, the, the camera seemed herky jerky. And honestly, the queue at uh, the Hulk ride at universal studios looked better than some of those sets. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I know that's just my unrefined taste speaking and that it was um, basically the artistic direction they went in, but uh, I didn't care for it. Brian, I, I don't, I think you maybe share my sentiments there. I I really, if if that is your philistine taste, I will happily cop to that philistine taste. <laughs> if any, if anyone wants to educate us, please, because that that movie just just killed my love for Ang Lee. Ooh, <laughs> wow, ouch! There's there's almost no forgiving him, man. Like a stylistic <laughs> cut, a comic book movie does not make. Right, right, right. Exactly. The other example I will bring up is reading way too much into something. I know we've beaten the beaten us up a lot on the show, but I'll bring it up one more time just because it bears a little more beating. The Hobbit, man. I mean, like, <laughs> you really read a lot into those few pages to squeeze three movies out of that. Yeah. And in some cases, read beyond the pages because... <laughs> yeah, I was gonna, I, I was going to say. <laughs> I definitely don't remember Bjorn doing a halo drop into the battle. <laughs> or uh well really a lot of what went on yeah or toriel for that matter Ugh. i think that's just i don't know pandering yeah it, it's pandering and it's those hundred people getting out of hand we need this we need this we we have a book to go off of that didn't need it so we either want to make this or not right right there are a lot of forces of evil at work there so, Chris, sorry, I maybe digress a little. Did I answer your question about what I think, or was there something you wanted me to touch on? No, no, I just now have images of hobbits in still suits. <laughs> Frodo Mahadin. <laughs> yes. Mahadin. Nice. Mahadin. <laughs> oh, God. Don't. <laughs> D- Dune might be the absolute worst offender. Oh, yeah. Which one? Spice. Okay, so we're talking about the David Lynch film. Are we talking about the two sci-fi uh tv events that also were done i did not, watch, the, I did not oh, watch those who did who did show of hands show of hands here no, no one i did not i did not watch the tv no i watched the movies i didn't watch the tv specials. so you so you didn't watch the tv how, how about how about you brian did you see the tvs no oh okay were, were they worse than the movie actually they were more faithful to the books they weren't, you know, the the movie had some stylistic stuff that was kind of cool, but yeah, kind of went way off track compared to the books. But, but the TV shows were more with the books, but then they suffered from a really low, like, you know, early 2000, late 1990s budget to do anything with. So I would uh, suggest them with a grain of salt. Hmm. You think there will ever be a proper film treatment? I mean, they could make a TV series that could span years, right? For sure. Well, now that Kevin J. Anderson, who we mentioned earlier in the episode, and uh, Herbert's son <laughs> have filled in those missing centuries before Dune, yes, they've they've turned it into a whole franchise. Just a ridiculous amount of information. Mm, could be a thing. You could go all the way back to the Machine Wars. 
if you wanted to. When they banned thinking machines. Yes. In the aftermath, yeah. And there you go, guys. Let's pitch that. Let's uh, let's make that the takeaway from tonight's episode that we get Dune made into a 17 season uh, television series <laughs> Epic that is faithful series. to the letter. And uh, that's pretty much it. You guys want to go over anything else? Uh, want to wrap it up? That's all I got. Okay. Well, folks, stay tuned. Next week, we talk about politics and uh, discuss uh, <laughs> Trump versus Sanders versus Clinton. Um, versus us. <laughs> versus us. <laughs> Followed by uh, a rousing discussion of religion the week after that. And then uh, our views on gay marriage the following episode. <laughs> so lots of... Uh, we tackle the real issues yeah we don't flinch from the real issues facing america but seriously uh anything else guys before we wrap it up nope Nope. then in that case i will say that listeners not inclined to read the printed edition of our podcast take themselves over to itunes where they can passive well somewhat actively download but then passively listen to our episodes on the weekly we really recommend that after that they they get a little more interactive and give us stars and uh, favorable review that involves writing rather than reading there is no way for the itunes to do that for you unfortunately and if itunes isn't your jam check us out on stitcher and uh, google play music at some point in the distant future like us on facebook follow us on twitter and instagram Add us to your Google circle and join the Nerd Stravaganza HQ group on Facebook. Power up your exosuit and head on over to nerdstravaganza.com where you can check out this and all of our back episodes. Hop onto your sandworm and head on over to YouTube. Type Nerd Stravaganza into the handy dandy search bar and check out all of our video content. And send us an email at nerdstravaganza at gmail.com and let us know what's on your reading and watch list. And with all that said, moviegoer Chris, take us away. But, Mr. Frodo, the spice must flow. <laughs> the ultimate movie mashup. There you go. Not Lord of the Dunes. <laughs>